Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here internationally, well, I'm international, and then by Dwayne and Mike. What's going on, guys? I think you got to so, change the first phrase. It's just soccer in Delaware, soccer, soccer in Argentina. I mean, I might. I mean, at that point, like, do I just do we just start off the day with this? This is the song. Uh, I'm playing the say. background so that we don't have any copyright issues as I request. <laughs> uh, but if you were watching any of the Argentina games, um, and you heard the fans at some point yelling or chanting, uh, this is the song that was uh, that was uh, very much in the background a lot of the times. So yeah. the only reason why Sebastian's here. Just because Argentina won. I mean, I guess I would have been here if if they didn't. Yeah, right. You you wouldn't have been so jolly. It would be a time of mourning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, considering considering <laughs> it has taken me five days to make it to Argentina or four. Yeah, it took four days to make it to Argentina on what should have been twenty four hours. Uh, yeah. I think we did the math. I think it was a total of seventy four hours that we were we were somewhat in transit between countries and things like that. Um, but yeah, luckily I, I made it. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, I think it's, uh, it's, it was somewhat lucky that we made it on Wednesday and not on Tuesday or, or even on Monday because the entire country was an absolute like disaster. Um, so for those of you that live in a bubble or some sort of igloo or without internet connection, Argentina won the world cup. Uh, so, uh, that is the the big news since last Friday, um, and yeah, it was it was crazy. So originally, when we were supposed to be leaving from Toronto to Buenos to Argentina to Brazil and then Brazil to Argentina, we were afraid um, we were going to get there around the same time as the national team. The national team ended up getting in there like two o'clock in the morning at the same airport where where we where we got there. Um, obviously, they have their own separate place and wing and all that other stuff. I was going to say, um, I hope they're not flying commercial. No, they were not flying Ethiopian Airlines. Uh, they didn't have they're the Ethiopian. They're flying the Velo Airlines. A Velo, yeah, yeah. Um, so we we go from there to. Um, so we were afraid of, of that part, um, and then the problem was is that the entire road towards the airport so the 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 main air, airport in Buenos Aires is um is is kind of outside of the city um and so you have to get there by highway uh and the entire highway was closed unless you were flying out so unless you had a flight out you weren't allowed nobody was allowed through um so it was a whole it was a whole thing um and then on Tuesday they decided to have a parade um so the players landed at like two o'clock in the morning and then they got off, they got uh, on a bus in the morning or around noon uh, on Tuesday and they went from there. So people decided to leave their cars on the side of the highway. Um, and uh, like right on the ditch of the highway. Um, and as that happened, uh, trucks came up and stole everybody's tires. Um uh, Selling tires, sell, sell them back to you. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so that happened. Um, 
And there was an estimated four to five million people that were in Buenos Aires. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the entire thing ended at like three or four o'clock um, because two fans decided to ch- jump off a bridge into the bus. <laughs> one made it, one didn't make it. Like he missed the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, he missed the bus. And uh, and at that point, the Argentinian Football Association decided that that was going to be the moment to bring five helicopters in and helicopter all the players out. And the uh, celebration was done. No more celebrations. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, so my grandmother, uh, kind of with the person that I grew up with uh, when I was little in Argentina, lives um probably about 15 20 minutes away from like the like walking or probably half an hour walking from where the um main place was and my uncle was telling me that public transportation was completely shut down because the president of argentina declared it a national holiday uh so nobody so there was there was nobody working um so he said the public transportation was was not working uh so there's no public buses or anything like that so there was just basically a sea of people walking in the street trying to like get places but then it ended up being an entire it ended up being a mess because it was just there was no way to control it there was no way to to nobody was working (laughs) there's no well there's there's not enough police in the city to be able to manage a crowd that big um it, there was no there was no way of of controlling a massive crowd like that people then started getting um, angry, kind of fighting back with the police. When the entire thing was done, they were trying to tell them to go home and be done, and it was it, it was a disaster. Um, so, unfortunately, something that should have been um, super a super happy moment was at times tainted by by people that just couldn't control their emotions. Um, but I mean, it's it's. I, I think the I think the the thing that that's disappointing to me is that as a country you didn't plan for the idea of argentina winning the world cup almost and i feel like that's something that, away when you guys lost to saudi arabia well <laughs> well when you make it to the final you probably need to start thinking ahead of like hey if we do win because clearly oh, they already had, they already had the, the three-star jersey the the president secretly an mbappe fan <laughs> So um he, he had his plane ticket punched to France to go to their parade. <laughs> so yeah, so that was um so that was that was the entire extravaganza here in Argentina. Um my dad will come here in a, in, a, in a couple of minutes and he'll tell you. Now granted he he lived it in the small little town that we're in right now, so he didn't have the same experience, but uh um my uncle who's not a soccer fan, my other uncle who's not a soccer fan at all, could care less about the sport. Uh, most of the time was cutting the grass during the games and he would hear just people yelling outside and then he would come in and tell my dad that he heard somebody yelling and my dad was in like a 15 second delay on the tv so <laughs> so uh so so yeah it was um that was the entire i might jump was, off the bridge when the u.s wins the world cup in 2026 you I might be, be the guy those, jump, i might be might the guy be. jumping into the bus yeah and when I was when I was living in Charleston and the US um won their last group stage game to go to the knockout round in 20 what was that 2010 mm-hmm. I literally jumped into Shem Creek in Charleston 
Um, and that was just for a group stage win. So who knows, <laughs> who knows if they actually win the World Cup. <laughs> Man, we, we got some we got some work to do in the US. <laughs> Mike's Mike's gonna jump off that Delaware uh that Bay Bridge. <laughs> I can tell you that by 2026, I will be nowhere near the state of Delaware. I can tell you that. Fair enough. <laughs> he already he already hired a, he already hired a realtor, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, just look. Yeah, there you go. Kyle sells uh, his house. Um. So. So yeah, I mean, it was. I basically I watched the majority of the celebration for Argentina winning the World Cup. Like the the at the post game, I watched it from the car driving to the airport. Um, and uh, and that was it. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's definitely an interesting was, game. We'll talk about that. We'll talk, I think we can talk about the game here in a second. Um, yeah, we don't want to talk about the word ceremony because uh, what's your keeper's name? He was doing some weird stuff with that trophy. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting, that was that, not, was, uh, <laughs> that was not not great. <laughs> that he, was very he, interesting. He flies off the handle quite a bit there. Oh. He's, I mean, he's a goalkeeper. Is anybody surprised by this? No, I mean, yeah, I just think, uh, yeah, I think it was an interesting move for him to put uh, put the trophy, as I read somewhere in his pelvic area. That's one way to politically correct put it. Uh, I think he should have put it palm down and done like a full Michael Jackson is what he should have done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so many babies so you in moonwalked, and moonwalked out of the stage. I mean, also, we had like two different ends of the spectrum because we have Messi wearing the traditional garb uh, of Qatar, <laughs> which I've, I've never seen that anything like that done at any yeah. at any previous World Cup. Um, and, the, and, and, and then you have what Emmy Martinez does, and you're like, man, those are actually completely opposite ends of the spectrum, but both probably equally disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, at that moment, I didn't know what to think. Yeah. So, um, so World Cup. Let's let's start. Let's start with the let's start with the third place game. So we left off uh, the day before. Who cares about the third place game? No, I think there's there's merit in the third place game. It's a lot of merit in the third place game. There's twenty seven million dollars in the world third place game. There you go. I mean, we asked ourselves. We asked ourselves last week whether whether we thought Rakitic was or uh, Modric was going to play. Not Rakitic. He doesn't play anymore. Uh, But Modric was going to play or not. And he did. Balled out too. Yeah. Um, back in twenty twenty six. Yeah, I mean, what what do you guys think about the the third place game in general? I think I mean Croatia and Morocco, two of the other two best teams in the World Cup. There's a lot of itches out there. <laughs> um, a lot of itches. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I think. In a serious note, Croatia, I mean, Croatia really solidified themselves, I think, as a power. I mean, whether their golden age is done or not, I mean, I think Modric has a lot to do with it, but I think they solidified themselves and said, hey, we're a very consistent team, and we get some more itches, we might be here to stay. Um, I mean, they went to the final last time and then went to the third-place game, so I think that's pretty. It's a pretty good result for them. Third place and second place in two World Cups. They might be back in 2026. And this is the third semifinal since they joined um, FIFA as a nation, and they started playing 19, since the 1998 World Cup. So, 
They missed the World Cup, right? They missed like the 2010 World Cup, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think they missed two. Yeah. It's it's it was great to be able to see one of the best players in the world get another game. Um, because the reality is is that his international career is probably probably over. We we're not gonna see him in 2026. Um, but I think it's also I think they're a really interesting case study, aren't they? Like I would love to sit down and really do a deep dive into Croatia with how they are, what are they doing where they're able to put together teams that can be consistently competitive in tournament football when they have like a four million person population, you know, like what are what have they been doing and and how is their recent success over these last two cycles, especially going to help them continue to build their roster? You know, is it going to be something where we see them diving into dual nationals a little bit more? Um, you know, I'd be really interested to see how they move forward because they are, they're kind of at an impasse right now. I mean, they didn't have to make very many changes going from 2018 to 2022, but there's going to be, there's going to be, if they return to this stage in 26, there's going to be a pretty good overhaul of their roster because of their age. So where do they end up in 2026 and how do they, and how do they get there? And if, and if they do end up in a, in a really successful place again, I think the entire world needs to look at like, what the heck are they doing over there? Yeah. Um, they're able to have this type of consistent success and what a lot of people say, uh, especially Eurocentric fans and players that it's, you know, the, the most difficult confederation in the world. Um, I mean, they're not doing what we're doing. <laughs> we're just picking, we're just picking players. Hey, you got, you got a passport. We'll take you. We're just, pull, we're just pulling guys out of anywhere. I think they're really, I mean, you make bring up a good point. I think they're really building their foundation probably through their youth teams and through their training camps and kind of building this style of play and just building it from the ground up and then seeing, you know, what's the final product when it is world cup time, who do we have? Who's, who's been around, who knows what they're doing. They're not just coming out and saying, Oh, Tim Ream, you're our best player. You're our best center back. Let's come get you. Like mm-hmm. they're being built up now. Granted, we do have a ton of dual nationals, which are good to sprinkle in, but I think you need to have that system put in place from the time we start. Cause if you look at our, the history of our youth national teams and our national teams, a lot of those guys don't make it. So it's like, what, are, like the U.S., where, where, what are you missing and where are you missing it? Because, I mean, if you look at the U17 national team, there'll probably be two guys that make the senior national team. It's like, what are you missing with the other, you know, 20 guys? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that it, it's also a, it's similar to what happened with Uruguay in, in 2010. Um, when they made that run, and you're like, it's a country that's not very big that that is managed to to do that as well. Um, and even even to a certain extent, at times, what Belgium has done or that generation of Belgian players, even though it's been somewhat of a somewhat disappointing, but they made the semifinals in the last World Cup. Um, and you look at it, and you're talking about leagues internally that are not, you know, the the strongest leagues in the world either, right? Oh. I mean, obviously, the Belgium league is a little bit more well known. Um, but to be able to produce 26 quality players in back-to-back World Cups, uh, considering your league is not necessarily the the strongest league in the world, or not even in the top, you know, six leagues in the world, um, is is commendable as a country. What what you're able to do, um, I think to to Dwayne's point, I think 
what you can do or what you do from a from a youth national team perspective and the scouting that goes into it. I think that's a part that a lot of people miss is that there's an insane amount of scouting that goes in at those youth national team levels for those countries of trying to figure out, all right, what kids at this academy in this part of the world or this world? Because some kids just leave their countries when they're you know, 10, 12, 13 years old to be able to keep track of them and making sure that they ultimately decide they want to play for your country instead of, you know, taking a shot at playing, you know, in Spain or England or whatever else. Uh, like we saw some of the U.S. players, right, that have played in youth national teams for other countries before. Um, so I think it's really interesting that it's really interesting. As Mike said, I think it'd be an interesting case study to also study their like stats over the World Cup, and that'll come out. They usually do what in a year they'll have the the FIFA World Cup report of like all the stats and everything else, and I think that'll be really interesting to see um, where where Croatia kind of lands. And then you have Morocco, who you know is a team that didn't even make the final in the Arab Cup of Nations. Uh, I don't think they made the semifinals in the African Cup of Nations in the last two years, and they. They, they believed. France was the France was the first team to, to to actually score on them, because the previous goal was there was an own goal. So France was the first team. So not until the semifinals do you actually get scored on. Um, they believed. Yeah, I, it's funny because I think when you look at those two those two teams, when you look at Croatia and then you look at um, Morocco, you're looking at two teams that both had success. Um, in tournament play, but I think two teams that had success in tournament play in very, in, in very different ways. Right. Whereas I, I look at Croatia and the thing that uh, is impressive to me and, and makes me very curious about them is I would, they have a very distinct style of play. They have had that very distinct style of play for a long time now, at least through two world cup cycles. And um, which would lend me to believe that there's probably quite a bit of continuity, both in players, ideology and coaching. Um, so that's really interesting. And then you have somebody like Morocco who also now is successful in tournament play, but they're successful in tournament play in a different way. And I think it goes to show um, that tournament play, um, tournament style play is its own beast, you know, in and of itself that, um, that there's probably a multitude of ways that you can win in tournament play. And you just got to figure out the way that works best for your team and I also think it it it's going to Dwayne's point. It, it kind of um, it shows the importance of momentum uh, because it's such a compressed time period that you're playing these games over. That if you're able to build moment positive momentum, that that's a real that is a real part of competition when you're talking about games three or four days apart. Yeah, uh, they were able to build momentum. Uh, they were able to build belief, like Dwayne was saying, and and uh, I think it had less to do with how, with um, with what they were trying to do when they played, and more to do with just how they were doing it. Um, every tackle, every pass, every fifty-fifty ball, they were approaching it with this insane amount of passion. Um, and it wasn't a technical thing, and it wasn't a tactical thing. Um, I think it was just a. This was a team that had that was galvanized. And they were organized, and they had momentum. Yeah, and, I mean, I think they they got a coach in what September, right? Their new coach started yeah. in September, yeah. so really he had no time to 
really do anything with this group by the time he woke up. So I think, you know, he just took control of that locker room and just said, hey, listen, like we're here. We've got the country behind us. Nobody expects us to win. Just go win. And that's what they did. They just went out there and they they handled their business. They just, again, they just believed and just brought a lot of passion to the game. You could, like Mike said, you could see that in their tackles and the way they played. They just believed in everything that they did and it carried them. And I mean, a credit to the, like, again, they took the, you know, you could say, hey, we got a coach in September. And you could say, you know, he never had time to put anything in place and you lose all three games. Or, you, you know, the flip side is you come out here and just say, forget about it and do your thing. Well, I think it's, it's, uh, I think it also shows the, the passion for it and the physical exertion that the players had. They ended the game. The third place game with technically no center backs left on the field because every, every single one of them was hurt. Okay. Um, so so it just sh- it goes to show you, and it wasn't because you know somebody put a nasty challenge on them. Like it's all like muscle injuries because you just you put yourself in a position to just you're now willing to to let it just happen. Like you're willing to put your body on the line for for your country and for and for what it means. Um, I think not only for the country, I think what it means for for African nations in general. The fact that now you're the you were the fourth the fourth African nation to reach a, a quarterfinal, first one to reach a semifinal, um, so I think it 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 allows you to it allows those countries to have the belief that that they can be in that spot as well. So it's more than just it's I think it's more than just getting there for your own country, right? It's it's almost that pressure of like there's a lot of more people that are looking at us going like all right like if you guys can do it so can we right. Um, I With think 48 teams coming to the world cup. There's going to be a lot of teams gunning for it now. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, that's a big part of it. And I also think, you know, when you talk about tournament play, I also think it's adaptability, right? It's, it's what country and what coaching staff. Um, so I think, I do think that it does have to do, and I, I recognize this with Argentina, it's a, it's a collective of coaching staff, right? It's the, the coaching staff that you have that, Everyone has to play their role and help with the idea of being a, being able to to adapt and coaching. Um, and we all know it at the youth level or at the college level with Mike. It's like it, you have to adapt. Not everything's going to be the same. Um, and I, I think in the tournament play format, I think you end up finding that the teams that cannot adapt quicker um, end up end up losing out. Right? You you see it on, in Germany. You see it with Spain. Right? Those are teams that live and die by their style of play and great that's good for them but at a certain point someone's going to adapt to the way you play and if you don't know how to how to evolve or how to change um then you're going to you know like spain did right you're going to outplay the team 99 percent of the match and losing pks like argentina did what do you mean they uh figured france out and then france figured them out for 10 minutes and changed the game but I think, but I think you saw it in Argentina. Argentina never had the same starting lineup in a single game, and I think yeah. that 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 goes to show you. Now, granted, some of it was was injury driven, but I, I think it goes to show you that. And so, like, and we can we can shift gears towards the final. I think so. When it was announced that Di Maria was going to play, I thought, great, fantastic. I told my dad the moment Argentina made the final. I said, you know. I think Di Maria needs to play. I think he needs to play on the right side. That'll counterbalance Mbappe going up. 
It'll keep our right back. It'll keep Molina's from going forward as much. And it'll, it, it, it won't cause, it'll make Mbappe not cause so much trouble. And Scaloni decides to put Di Maria on the left-hand side. And Dembele is absolutely useless. Hum, like just useless at that point, right? He can't defend. Um, and, and it just causes chaos. To the I mean, point he went where back to Dembele. He went back to Dembele from Barcelona when they were. It, when it causes forty minutes in, forty minutes in, he subbed out. <laughs> right. I, I think for me, one of the things that I see is that there is a real. Um, I think there's real value, and and honestly, it's it's like a funny thing that we talked about a lot, and and that you you heard a lot about Burhalter, right? Like he he's a vibes guy, and they always talked about the vibes around the U. But like that's a real thing when you're talking about not having true opportunities to prepare for games, right? Which which I do think is similar to like a college season, right? Like I I felt this when I was at Delaware and every other university that I've ever coached at. My teams always played better during the spring season, as far as the actual product and quality of the soccer than they did in the fall. Well, it's because we were training five days a week in the spring, and in the fall you're training. You get maybe one real day of training, and then you got to continuously deload because you're playing two games in a week. So right. it becomes about how, um, what is the vibe around your team? Is it a positive vibe? Do they buy in? Are they willing to work hard? And it really becomes more about how you're doing things than what you're trying to do, because you don't have time to instill what you want to do. Um, you know, so the little, the scrappier parts of the game, are you, are you doing those things better? And I think that's where you see games like a, like a Morocco against, against Portugal, where as soon as I knew Portugal had to play against Morocco, I was like, that's a nightmare matchup for, for Portugal because Portugal could, could definitely outplay them, but Morocco is going to play with more passion. And at this point in a tournament, when you don't have a lot of time to prepare for how to break down a low block, um, that is a, that's an, that's an absolute nightmare. Uh, because if they do the stats that don't show up on the scoreboard better than you, they're going to find a way to win that game. Yeah, and, uh, and they were able to. So it's funny because uh, – and, and that would, that's what I would say was what I felt maybe going into this tournament um, was the value in somebody like Greg Berhalter for the U.S. I, I definitely didn't think as a tactician he was at the level of some of the best coaches in the world, but um, – was he able to build a real team atmosphere? Yeah. And that was, and that was going to be good for, for the U S. And I think that was great for a team like Morocco. I think they fed off the atmosphere that, that, that their coach was able to instill in a very short amount of time. And it was less about the tactics and just more about how they felt about themselves as a, as a, as a footballing nation and what they felt like they, they could do. Um, so I think I think when you look at tournament play and you look at games that are happening in such close succession, how you feel about yourself as a competitor and how you feel about your team is equally as important as what you're capable of doing on the field. Well, and it's also and it's also being able to, as you mentioned it, right? Is everybody ready? Do you have the buy-in from your team? Right? You had players. Dybala didn't. Dybala played 15 minutes or so in the in the semifinal game because at that point it was three nothing. Everyone was able to get on at that point. And he comes in in the extra time period, realistically, just to take a PK, ends up making a crucial tackle in Argentina's defensive box, like the, to to make sure that like the ball went out for a corner kick or a throw in or something like that, or something like that. Um, 
and then ends up scoring a PK in the final shootout, right? Like, and that's a player that like I I wanted to see him play more. I wish he would have played more. Um, and he didn't, but at the end of the day, he was bought in enough that it didn't matter when he was gonna play, when he played, he was gonna be ready, right? Lautaro Martinez, everyone thought was gonna come in as the starting nine for Argentina. Um, starts the first game and then, you know, gets gets benched halftime and then at that point only comes in the second half but scores the last pk against the netherlands that that puts you through right and that mentally you need to be in a space where you need to be able to come in and and put that away right or else you're you're the reason why right like and and that's such a that's such an interesting thing i feel like um so i i have vivid memories of the 2002 world cup and and up to now um that's where i feel like my i have a vivid memory of the 98 final of france france brazil but not from an argentinian standpoint but from an argentina standpoint 2002 and and beyond i have vivid memories and and can remember the feelings of the of each of those teams um and i think you know the the 2014 world cup obviously was a heartbreak to lose in the final um you know one nothing to 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 Germany and, you know, some controversial calls or not calls in <clears throat> that game and things like that. But realistically, I look at it from, uh, you know, 2018 was an absolute debacle of a, of a World Cup for Argentina. It was an absolute disaster. Um, realistically, I think we were lucky that we got through the through the group stage. I think it would have been more fair to, to be left in the group stage. Um, and then you look at this team um you look at you look at this team that uh that that has come into the world cup with with a buy-in for not only the coaching staff but for the country and for themselves or for each other that that was absolutely unreal as my my dad sits next to sits next to us um so you know it's that's those are the things that I think stick with me in this in this team. Um, you know, I think in in both both of you know this uh, about about me in general. If there's something that um, I don't hide uh, often is the fact that I'm Argentinian, and I feel like that's it's a sense of pride that I I think growing up in the United States at some point I lost and I regained in in my later years of coaching soccer, being involved with it. Um, and I, I went through a roller coaster of emotions throughout the World Cup, um, but I think the final, um, the first half, I think again, first seventy-five minutes, I thought Argentina was phenomenal. I think it was from a final standpoint. I thought it was what you would, what you would want your team to do. You're up to nothing. You're controlling everything, and then you know Mbappe does what Mbappe does. He's that's why he's one of the best players in the world. Um, scores a PK and then scores a, a goal that realistically not many players can score. Um, you know, f- kind of like half volley falling on the ground, putting in where you put it in, like it, it's, and then to, to have the, the extra time and messy scoring a goal and then everything else, you know, Mbappe tying it again with a PK and then going into the PK shootout. I think going into the PK shootout, obviously I was nervous. Um, but I don't know that, and maybe that's why 
my emotions were a little more in check after the when Argentina won. I think going into the PK, I think subconsciously, I I had a feeling that there was no way it was going to get it slip away. Like we, we had come so far up to that point that there was no shot that that was going to slip away. I think Aguero no, was going to take a PK. I mean, Aguero, yeah, Aguero might have jumped he, in. He was up there like he was going to take a PK, man. <laughs> so I mean, you can you can say whatever you want about Emmy Martinez and whether you want those kind of antics and things like that. You know, he did in the Netherlands when he had the he was about to give the ball to the, the one of the players who was going to take the PK, and he just like threw it to the side. Him dancing around and doing all these things, like. But at the same time, I think, I think that's the, that's the passion. I think you saw. I think you saw an Argentinian, not an Argentinian team that that brought back a little bit of that passion that was missing from the sport. At times, I think we've we've gone in this direction of everything being so formalized and so structured with the whole idea of the gps's and the making sure that this is this it's this and you have the goal line technology you have the var you got the ball that tracks all this other stuff and you have all these things that like i'm not saying that we should go back to the idea that like we should be kicking the crap out of each other and let you know watching players do flips of how hard they've been kicked like they used to be Right. I mean, you watch, I watched some of those videos from the 86 World Cup or the 78 World Cup, and you got people flying, and the referee comes over and it's like, nothing happened. Like, it's okay. Like, it's a foul or it's at most a yellow card. <laughs> um, and you saw, in, to, in theory, you saw a World Cup that, that, that had very little red cards um, outside of the Argentina Netherlands with 17 or whatever it was, 17, 12 yellow cards or whatever. You had a World Cup that didn't have a lot of yellow cards. You had a lot, you had a World Cup that was. Yeah, the rest were, the rest were letting the guys play. I mean, they, for the most part, like, like there were some questionable tackles, but I think the refs, I think the pre, pre World Cup speech to the refs was, Hey, we're not here to watch you guys. We're here to watch, you know, the best players play and teams play, trying to manage the game as best as possible. I think the refs did a great job just managing the game and letting the players play. Well, I think VAR, VAR brings that out, right? VAR allows you to not, not get away with anything, right? You can't like kidney punch a player right before they're about to do something anymore, which probably yeah. a good thing. Um, but, but I think, but I think, and I don't condone necessarily what Uruguay did after, after they lost in the group stage game where they started chasing the referee down the, the locker room. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't condone that or, or Cavani knocking down the VAR booth. Like, like I don't condone that, but but I do think that there's a level of pride that you have to have for your country that has to be more than just oh the game's done I just walk away and like like nothing ever happened or if again that the idea of the passion for for putting your body on the line like we talked about with Morocco right like is that something that like you're willing to to run up to the point where your muscles legitimately like tear or whatever it is. You know, um, even though you know that's potentially going to happen, you you don't care, right? Because you know you need to make that run. I think, I think everybody saw it with Mudrich, right? Mudrich at one point, um, I mean, like a 70, 80 yard run back to defend. Yeah, to defend after a corner kick, and you're just like, holy moly, man! Yeah. This guy's thirty seven years old, and, and he made it. And he he's made coming it. back, and he's coming back for in twenty twenty six, and he made it. And you're just like, that's what's missing. And I feel like. He said, I got that Real Madrid hot tub when I get back to Spain. <laughs> but I think <laughs> take I, care of me there. 
but I think you know, and I, I saw I saw somewhere the stats uh, they compare they compare the World Cup final. I'm not sure why they compare the World Cup final to the to the World Series, like as far as like viewership. Um, and in 2020, in 2018, in the U.S., it took a dip, but now it came back up to like 22 million people watched the World Cup final or something like that, right? Um, and this goes beyond the idea of Argentina making it as in the final and winning. But that's the thing. That's what you hope going to the 2026 World Cup, but you hope that it sparks a level of interest to the game, but you hope it sparks the right level of interest to the game, right? Dwayne and I were talking after the, the Uruguay game where you're like, you know, that's the reason why youth parents or youth players decide that they can yell at referees because they see Uruguay do it or they see Cavani knocking down the VAR booth like it's, you know, like it's okay. And that's not okay. But you should have pride in, like, if you save a PK, yeah, celebrate the goal. I mean, we've all seen, and Mike, you've been in plenty of uh, games at the youth level, even at the scout from a scouting perspective, where people score goals and they just turn around and walk back to midfield. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what you're supposed to do. It's, it's I, a business. I, it's business. I, I think we don't value. Well, I mean, listen, I could go on for days about youth soccer. Um, and and what I would say is I, I I would agree and disagree with you, Sebastian, about like what Uruguay did and and how people see that and how it affects the way that they behave. Because to be honest, you see basketball coaches all the time ripping yeah. referees. Um, honestly, I, I think where our biggest issue with parents comes from is that we don't educate them enough. Um, I just don't think they're educated on what support looks like, on how to support their kids, on on what to expect when you're on the sideline of a game. Um, I think our clubs in this country do an absolutely terrible job of educating parents. Um, so that's from, and, and I think that's a huge part of the development of the players is if you can't get the parents on board, you're never going to be able to develop the player. And I think that's a place where we can, as a, as a whole country, as like, when I look at us, us soccer, this needs to be a priority for us soccer. If they want to continue to develop good players, they need to incorporate parental education into it. Um, and if they don't, because then because we need to know what our identity is as a country right and in this country in a lot of other countries when you talk about the development of the player and the relationship of that player with their parents are two separate things because the players are going off to go develop somewhere else in this country the players oftentimes are still living at home while they're developing they're not in another place so making sure that the environment at home when they leave the pitch is consistent with the environment on the pitch is critical to development in this country. Um, so we need to we need to not have an identity crisis with who we are, and we need to understand who we are and and make that a critical part of the of the development um, of our of our youth players. But I also think you also need to be okay with who you are, and I think that's honestly for me when I look at our national team here and when I compare it to what I saw with Argentina, Argentina was very okay with being who they were. Um, they were going to play the game their way. They were going to do it without apologizing. Um, and back to and, their roots. Yeah, and they and they did it to the and they did it to the best of their ability, and that allowed them to win a tournament. And I think when I look at when I look at us as a footballing nation, and I, you know, my biggest issue is I don't think we know what we want to be. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we have an inferiority complex where we think that being American and, and playing American soccer is not good enough. And it, it will never win us a tournament. 
Um, but I could also make the argument that how much how much different is what we've done in the past than what Morocco did in this World Cup? Yeah, not much. And they had success, but they were just we, okay. And we we are never we've never been okay playing American soccer. No, nope. it's we, we should strip. That's it. We got to be more European. We have to be more like this. We have to be more like that. We got to be more Mexican when they were yeah. bringing in the Mexican dual nationals. Like if we're going to be a four four two country, let's go be a four four two country and just grind let's it out and be really good at it and be really okay with that. And uh, yeah, make a run like Morocco. Like we played. I mean, that's the thing. Like we want to be a four three three, or we a four four two, or we a three five two, or we a five. just go. Just put in a put in a system. Put in your best eleven. And just go to work, grind it out, because we're a grinded out nation. We're not a, we're not going to wow you and score a ton of goals. We're going to play exactly how we played with, like we played against England and Iran and all those. Grind it out. Yeah, I mean, and and, and that's where I feel like, um, that's where I feel like our mentality when I compare us to some of the best countries in the world with regard to how we play the game and the success that we're able to have. I think, I think our mentality is probably our biggest, uh, our biggest downfall. I think it's our biggest hurdle that we need to get over is trying to figure out what we want to be. And then, and then sticking consistent to that. Like I, I would venture and I, and I don't know anything about this. I've never done any, any research about it, but if I had to guess, I would venture to guess that we have more turnover in national team staff and not just senior national team, but through the youth levels as well. Than, than a nation like Croatia does because they have a very um, consistent, uh, easily visible identity, and we don't. And I think lack of consistency in in um, staff and thus ideology is probably a big reason why. Um, I briefly just looked at the U-17 national teams over the past couple of tournaments. There's some players that were on that squad, like a Luca Della Torre and Haji Ray, Christian Pulisic, but – like just going back to 2015, there's like six or seven guys that were in the team this year, right? And I would bet you if you looked at Croatia over the past couple of years, it's probably a little bit higher, probably like 15, 16, 17 guys. Like we just, I don't know if we missed guys. I don't know what, but I just think that, like you said, we don't do a good job of just educating and building it up all the way through. I think we just try to find the best guys at that time when we need to build guys up. And with the conversations, right? Is Greg Burhalter? Can Greg Burhalter call the the coach of the U seventeen national team and say, "Hey, what am I getting in a guy like Tyler Adams?" Right? It's is it between Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney? If I'm picking up, what do I get out of this guy? What does he show you? What do you think about this guy to figure out where they were and what they can bring to the table? And I, and I think it's also important to. It was interesting. Like, did you guys see the article that just came out yesterday? The interview with Tad Ramos. No, no I, I saw it pop up. I haven't had a chance to read it. It's a really interesting interview because he makes some good points. Um, one of the things that he mentions was why was our center back situation and our number nine situation not solved well before the World Cup? And I think the conversation coming into the World Cup is like, oh, well, because you don't have you don't have two world class center backs. You don't have you know, a world-class number nine, but he makes a great point of like, well, when I was coming, when I was playing on the national team, we had Eric Winalda and Eric Winalda was our number nine. And so he played every minute of every game because he was our number nine. And you, was he world-class? Was he not world-class? It doesn't matter. It's who, mm-hmm. That's who you have. 
So, <laughs> so at least that way, when you're getting into a tournament, there's some type of continuity. Um, you know, if we knew Tim Ream was playing, starting and a captain of an English Premier League team, why is he not playing in games leading up to the World Cup hmm. so that he can develop a partnership with whoever his other center back is going to be, whether you think whether you think that that guy is world class or not? I mean, you know, you why are wasting time playing somebody like Aaron Long? And I think that is that for me is a problem, because how do you develop identity when you play? one player all through qualifications and then you get to a world cup and now you're, now you're playing a different player. Um, for me, it's not necessarily about the level of that player as much as it is. Are you putting them in a position to succeed? You know, like, like Haji, Wright. What were we really going to expect from Haji, Wright? Or, you know, like when he got a fraction of the minutes in qualification that Jesus Ferreira got, and then you get to a world cup and Jesus Ferreira gets a fraction of the minutes of Haji, Wright. Uh, for yeah. me, that's that's the big that's the bigger issue, um, and I think it also goes back to we don't know what we want to be. What do you want to be? You know, how do you want to play? And and then figure out who those players are and and ride and and ride them and give them a chance to maybe be better than what they to achieve at a higher level than what they actually are. You know um, who that player is not Walker Zimmerman. Should never put on the jersey again. He should be on that. He should be on that B team. Gold Cup roster for life. That's who he is. He is not a senior national team center back. I think I think who your players are are the players that you put on the field. But yeah. you just got to commit to putting the players to putting the players on the field and letting them be your players. And yeah, we committed to Walker Zimmerman and he he showed us what he was going to do. But you know you know you know what you know what's funny is that um I also wonder how much worse could he have been if he didn't play as many minutes in qualifications as he did. Um, you know, because did he make some mistakes? He made some mistakes. I thought he did some really good things too, but he he could have been far worse if he didn't have minutes under his belt. Right, he could, could have been far worse. So at least, so maybe what we saw was a maximized Walker Zimmerman, and that's and that's that's great, isn't that what you want to do as a coach? Maximize maximize your players, figure out who they are, and then and then and then go with them, right? Right. Um, and I think that, like, I think our biggest issue with the number nine position is not that we didn't have a number nine. I think our biggest issue with our number nine position is that we didn't we didn't decide who our number nine was going to be early enough to give any of them a chance to be a good number nine. Never had a chance. Never had a chance. Never had a chance. Never had the reps. Never had the relationship. Never had a chance. Never had a chance. We like, and that was the question. What two years ago we were talking about that two years ago? Who's going to be the number? Like nine? That's been the question for a long time. I mean. Is it a is it a European player? Is it an MLS guy? Who who's it gonna be? And we're still asking the question. I mean, I think that if we're just handing out opportunities to players, why not give Brandon Vasquez an opportunity? He scored a lot of goals in MLS this year. Um, you know, Jeremy Abobasi, he's been in the national team, he scored a ton of goals in MLS this year. Why didn't those guys get a shot? I mean, you know, we had the luxury of having an MLS season that was ending as the World Cup was starting. So these guys are already informed. They scored, you know, twenty plus goals this year. Why not give them a shot if we're just going to be handing out opportunities, right? Why was it not good enough for Brandon Vasquez, but it was good enough for years for Landon Donovan? You know what I mean? Like, and 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 Landon, to his credit, is one of one of the best players that's ever that's ever donned the jersey, and that's great. But could you make the argument that it's because of the opportunity that he got? Because anytime there was a national team camp, he was in it. Yeah. Well, Brandon Vasquez will be in the January national team camp, but what good does that do us now, right? 
Um, they come out and score five goals next year, and, and they're gonna say, "Oh yeah, don't don't put on a jersey ever again." <laughs> but this, and I, obviously, I think our, I think the conversation, <laughs> I, I did a really good job of taking us off on a tangent, but it, it, <laughs> it goes to, it goes to for me, it goes to um, why I think you have to be very certain on what you're trying to do with regard to coaches and cycles, um, because the one thing that I would say. Uh, for me, is the reason why I don't think Berhalter should be back for another cycle is not necessarily because they didn't achieve, because I think they did about as well as that team was going to do um, potentially in, in a World Cup. Maybe they were one game better than what they did, maybe um, with tweaks here or there, slightly different ideology. But like, um, do we have any type of identity? No. So we have no idea what we're getting from him um, for another cycle. He, no I mean, he got us, he got us. He got us to where we needed to be, right? He got us, you know, the the players that are going to come into the group. He got us those players. He got us to the round of 16. Now, who's the guy that can take us to the next step? Who's the guy that can take what he's built and just continue to build and make us a little bit better? Well, I mean, I right now there's a lot of coaches that don't have jobs. So, yeah. Tata well, Martinez, what you doing, brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's but, it's well, it's you can't play when we play Mexico, man. He might, yeah, he might not make it. But I think that's, I think that's, I think that's the, you know, when we talk about the idea of a process and and making sure. I mean, even Luis Enrique, who again, arguably maybe didn't have the best World Cup from a Spain national team perspective, he said, "Listen, our players did exactly what I told them to do, and they went out and executed what I told them to do. We executed ninety nine point nine percent of the. We just missed scoring a goal." Um, which obviously is the, the the goal of the game, but at the same time, like it's the idea that like, hey, and it wasn't now going on. Well, he, I mean, he made a point of like, I would have brought twenty five out of twenty six that I brought. I would have won one player. I would have whoever it was that he was not happy with. And I guess Berholzer kind of made the same thing with Giorena. But um, I think now it's the you know the aftermath of this World Cup. I think the it, it's interesting is the World Cup ended five days ago. And, uh, you know, the, you know, in, in city Liverpool played yesterday. <laughs> so so it's one of those, too. it's a weird, it's a really strange world cup because a, I feel like it was a, it was, it was cool to be able to close out the year with it. But at the same time, I feel like it's one of those things that because the leagues are going to basically come back on like, you know, this weekend and stuff like that, that it's going to be a world cup. That's, that's potentially like not forgotten. quickly forgotten, but like, you're not going to think about it. Um, you're really not going to think about it much um, <laughs> because everyone goes back to their clubs. I mean, you you already had players. I mean, Nathan Ake already played yesterday for City. So De Bru- yeah, De Bruyne played yesterday. <laughs> right. So so you have players that have gone back and played on their teams already and things like that. Um, so I think there's a – I just – hopefully – from a U.S. perspective, um, and I, I made this point to, to doing last week, is because the because the U.S. are automatically qualified in the 2026 World Cup, then the hardest part for them is going to be finding matches that are that are quality matches for them leading up to that World Cup. Considering you don't have to do the whole World Cup qualifier, and the idea of playing European teams is very difficult because they're all playing in their Nations League, <laughs> Euros qualifier, World Cup qualifier. And the 37 other potential opportunities they have to play themselves uh, where they don't need to reach out to other countries. Um, so a Cup America, 
if the U.S. can get into the Copa America in 2024, would be would be an ideal situation. Um, gets a South American competition in them, um, but. But, the gold yeah. cup. I think the gold cup becomes very crucial for us. I know a lot of times it's used to uh, find the next players. I think we have the players, the player pool that we like. I think it's a tighter player pool than what it was before. And maybe you sprinkle a few guys in here or there, right? Maybe you say, "Hey, we'll give you know Pulisic the summer off. We know he's a guy, but we sprinkle in another couple players that may they may fit that model." But I don't think we can afford to use. I don't think we can afford to like waste those opportunities in the next cycle. Like we gotta take advantage of every yeah. opportunity. No, I, I think I agree with you, Dwayne. I think between now and twenty twenty six, it's going to be about continuity for this team and building consistency and being able to overcome some of the hurdles that are inherently going to be there. I mean, I think it's very difficult for most nations, probably ninety percent of the nations across the world, to say we have the answer at all eleven positions on the field. Um, and we're certainly not that nation. We're not Brazil. You know, we're not going to have the answer at every position on the field. So we need to then create some of the answers for ourselves. And if, and if we feel like, you know, these are the three guys that we have for the number nine position, then, then use them to create the answer. If we, if we feel like none of them are the answer, well, then, then maybe we need to tweak the system and play with two strikers. Um, because we can't find one person to do the job that a single nine has to do. Uh, of stretching the field, of holding the ball, of of occupying the center back. Maybe we need to play with two then. Um, but I do think at this point, it's not necessarily the emphasis doesn't need to be on expanding the player pool. It's if there is somebody that deserves to be in the pool, they will present themselves to us. Like that's it's going to be easy to see if somebody comes along that needs to be in the squad. So let them present themselves and and show themselves to us. But in the meantime, start to ride some of your some of your players like a like a Musa, like a Tyler Adams, like a Weston McKinney, like a Pulisic that you realistically think, okay, it's gonna take somebody really special to to, to unseed this person. So ride ride those players and build the consistency and build the relationships and 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 not focus so much on trying to turn over every stone to find the answer. And I feel I feel like that's what we did coming into this World Cup is hey, we're gonna we're going to turn over every stone to try to find our number nine, this 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 guy that's going to fall out of the sky that's just going to score goals for us. That's not yeah. that's not how it's going. To be. No, that's not, that's not the way it's going to be. You got to figure out a way to get your guys that you have already <laughs> some goals. We were waiting for Josie Altador to, to start scoring goals. God, <laughs> and that's the funny part about it is you look back at like somebody like Josie Altador and you're like, was he ever the answer? Was he ever <laughs> ever? <laughs> Did he ever do anything with the national team that was better than what Ricardo Pepe's done? That no. was better. Than, I he mean, has more. He has more pulled hamstrings than Ricardo Pepe. It's unbelievable. <laughs> He's got more pulled hamstrings than he has national team goals. I mean, it's. it's <laughs> so, but you look at it and you're like, you know, I feel like the closest thing we've ever had to a true nine was McBride, and that's fine. But we don't have that right now, so move on. You know, yeah. f- maximize what you do have, and yeah. and whether that's playing a different style, whether that's just investing in the players that you have. But I, I do think it's a problem or, or, or maybe a mismanagement of like you, you, you ate up all these minutes with player a, but then got to the world cup and played player B. What is that about, man? Yeah, it's tough. Like, and, and then, and then people want to get on, on, 
whoever it is, player B's back of like, man, you didn't score enough goals. Haji, you didn't score enough goals. Look how many minutes you played. You didn't score enough goals. Yeah, I've been here for been here for five minutes. Well, <laughs> Just got here. I was on the roster a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you bitching at me because I didn't score enough goals? Are you kidding? Um so so before we before we begin to wrap up, my dad my dad's here and I wanted to um the last time he was on the podcast was when we when we had the, the Maradona episode. Um and I think it's fitting since uh there's been you know, thousands of this of comparisons between Maradona and Messi. Um, as someone who has now seen both players play um, live in person, and also have has lived through all three of the World Cup wins that Argentina's had. Um, what what are your thoughts of what Messi did for for not only Argentina but for his legacy potentially as a player? Hello, everyone. Um, he gave us a legacy as, as a professional player because Maradona was a natural player for to play football. Messi as well, but he's more professional than Maradona was. That's a big difference for the kids. And he's phenomenal on, on the field, no doubt about that, but at different levels different history, different level of play during the back in the 80s when Maradona played. It's totally different. Now it's more speed. You don't have time to think. Before you receive the ball, you have to think where you pass the ball. That's Messi has. I don't know, you watch the game, the goal uh, against Australia. It was. <laughs> he received the ball and he kicked the ball didn't see the other player, but the other player received the ball. And he did the same thing on the second goal at the final. He just touched the ball and released the ball and then moved the ball and opened the space for everyone else. That game was and this, the third goal against Croatia. That's also football. The, the nature of the football. Play, back and forth play. That's a nice. <laughs> yeah, I think you know. I think we saw multiple levels of of Messi in this World Cup, and I think you know he's a player that's at times um, under the radar as far as like his public image. Obviously, he's in a ton of commercials and all that other stuff that he does. But from uh, he's never in the spotlight. For either something positive or negative, he just kind of flies under the radar. He's somewhat quiet, relaxed. In this World Cup, you saw all levels of that, right? You saw him being quiet, and then you also saw him go yell at Louis Van Gaal. <laughs> I, would for, say, I mean, this is the first time in a long time I've seen Messi get on the floor and tackle somebody. Yeah. Like, it really meant a lot to him. And going back to the passion with Morocco, like, I mean, everybody knew what was at stake going into it. Like, this is Messi's last World Cup. Yeah, this but is you know when he gets on the ground and he's doing side tackles, that tells like that just raises the level. That just shows how bad he really wanted. Like he was like, I'm gonna go out, you know. And for the Argentinian national team, he took the position as a leader the first time as a leader. Everyone was behind him. If, some, if something was gonna happen, everybody he had 25 other guys behind him that had his 26. Back. Aguero was coming too. Aguero man. was also coming in. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, I think 
I think it's uh I think we were gonna protest the World Cup and say that they had an illegal player. I think it's uh I think it's just one of those things that um and 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 we can make the argument that he's the best player to ever play or not, and that's 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 a for a conversation that ultimately probably needs to happen over over some drinks or some uh, you know at a at a at a table. It's not for us to decide or not decide. And realistically, I don't think it matters. Um, well, I don't think games. it's one of the, I don't I don't think it, it's one of those things that it matters. I think because you know what that you know what man like I think at the end of the day, in X amount of years, he's going to stop playing, and someone else is going to come along, and we're going to have the same questions or the same things when he's around. Because after Maradona played, there was three or four other players that were believed to be the best players in the world and we'll have this argument luckily for us we'll have this argument forever of like who is the best player to ever lived and their legacy will live long beyond their playing careers and again in Maradona's case is life right everyone goes back and you know and again he had a different somewhat of a not somewhat he had a checkered past of like the different things that he was he was involved in and the idea that you know there was there was Maradona and there was Diego Right. And those were always like two different people. And depending on who you met, it's who you got. Um, but I think with Messi, I think you're in, in Mbappe has all the tools necessary to be to have to be in that conversation at some point in his life. Um, and I'm sure so do a lot of players, right? I, I think it's just a matter of their time. Part of it does have to do with where you're born, unfortunately, to a certain extent. Um, you know, you look at a player like Holland who is potentially one of the best strikers in the world who might not ever play a World Cup. I mean, um, I think he's got an American grandma or something like that, right? Is there, is there a way that we can get that man a passport? <laughs> we got to find – we got to send a girl overseas, man, and just bring him back over. Uh, but it's the citizenship so, rules. So you, so you have all those things. So I think for us, the upside, and I think that's what we should take away from this, is that enjoy it while it's there. Um, and and li- li- you know the idea of living in the now, right? Like it's not it's not worth discussing like why or if he's better than somebody else or not. He's he is what he is, and he did what he did. That's it's the, the same thing that they have about like basketball. Like who's the best LeBron, player? Is it yeah. Magic? Is it Bird? Is it Jordan? Is it Kobe? Is it LeBron? Is it Curry? Like I think you have to look at it like almost in like a ten year span. Like was Messi one of the best players from like 2010 to 2020? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, has Messi slowed down? Yes. But I think the game has also evolved and it's changed a little bit, right? Like, it's a, I mean, it's always a young man's game, but like Mbappe and Holland and, you know, some of these other younger players are going to change the game for the better. They're going to change the way it's played. It's going to be faster. It's going to be fancier. You know, it's gonna, it's just gonna change. So those players are gonna take the game to a certain level over the next ten years, mm-hmm. and then in ten more years after that, someone else is gonna come in and change the game. And it's just, you know, you're always gonna have who was the best player ever, but the game is gonna be different. Like your dad said, like when Maradona played, it was a, it was different. <laughs> yeah, I think something that's 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 important to think about is what has the game, and what do these players give us. Um. And I think that that's where it can get super convoluted when we talk about the best players to ever play the game. But how about how about just the most influential players to play the game? And we can agree that now that's a category that that a lot of players can be a part of instead of 
instead of just one. Mm-hmm. But I think um, what the greatest players in the world do is I think that they give us gifts, right? And um, whether it's the memories that they afford us, the moments that they that they give us, uh, or maybe it's, you know, you could say the game has changed now, right? Like as the game has now we're in 2022 and the game is 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 different, right? But was Messi a part of changing that game? And that's why the game is different now because of the things that he was doing over the course of the prime of his career, right? Um, you know, did the game change post Maradona because of the way that he was able to play the game? I, I think for me, when I think about the best players in the world, I think about the moments that they gave me. Um, and I think honestly, when I when I think about the game, um, for me, I think like the best part about this game, Sebastian is sitting behind you right now. Right. Like the moments that you yeah. have with your father, that's the best part of the game. Yeah. And like for me, um, you know, my dad's been really sick over the past month, but I got to sit next to him and watch a Portugal game um, and hold his hand while we watch the game. And that's a moment that um, nobody's ever going to be able to take away from me. And so uh, and it's something I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. So um, I think um more important than maybe who are the best players to ever play is who who gave the most to us into the game and um and i because because that's influence right i i think i think you can measure who who the best are by the influence that they've had and um and that's real that's real influence um so i'm just i'm really thankful i'm thankful it's funny man every time i watched Argentina play I thought about you Sebastian and I thought about <laughs> your family because I was like man what a great moment what a great time to be able to share with your with your family right and and I would have loved it if Portugal could have found a way to advance to a final too so that I could be with my dad and watch him and his reactions seeing his nation play uh on the biggest stage uh and I hope I get that one day with him um but these are things that are so that are that are powerful that that I think are the reason why we're on a podcast right now about the game yeah. it is not necessarily because Messi's a good player, it's because of how Messi makes us feel. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why we're doing a podcast. And that's um and we shouldn't lose sight of that because you know what, whether it's Messi, whether it's Ronaldo, whether it's Mbappe, whether it's Maradona, um, they've all made us feel a, 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 a certain way that we want to be together and talk about it. And so I'm just thankful about that. Um, there's a lot of negative things I could think about, especially with this world cup um, and, and how maybe it was tainted even just coming into the world cup before a single, a single game was played. Um, but I am very, very thankful for the fact that I get to sit here right now with you guys and have a conversation about it. Look at the way it's brought us all together. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a powerful thing, man. It's a really powerful thing. So, I mean, I think, I think, um, doing that, let you close it out. But I think for me, um, we're going to do something we haven't done in the 130 episodes. We're going to, we're probably going to just end the episode there. We're not going to do the player of the match. It doesn't matter. Uh, the, on this day of history, to a certain point, it doesn't really matter. Neither does the fair play of the week. I think it's just, I think, Mike, I think you, you wrapped up, um, what this World Cup has meant. Um, I think it's a lot of the feelings that I've had. So I, I share, I share a lot of those, that sentiment with you. Um, I think, you know, the, I watched it with my own, this is the first world cup that my kids have gotten to have gotten to, it was my daughter was, was born for the 2018 world cup, but that's a world cup that I, I rather forget. Um, but, but, uh, but I was in the final, you know, when I, 
when uh when Argentina won um I called my dad or he called me and then my kids hugged me and I think that was that was something that I didn't think was going to it's one of those things like I you know we hadn't had that before I didn't so it's 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 um it's powerful um I think that's what when we talk about this is uh you know it's it's you know we can say football is life we can say a bunch of different catchphrases with it but that's why some people that's why some sport does this and i understand that a lot of different sports do this and and it's not just a soccer thing um but i think globally that's why it's more than just a game it it, it is so Dwayne, any final thoughts on your part I mean, no. Did you grab any of those Budweisers they were shipping out there? Charge the uh, No, I did. I did not. No, Are no Budweisers sure? got shipped in the Ethiopian Airlines. Uh, <laughs> I saw. I mean, there was, was a lot of Budweisers that they were shipping over there. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I might. I might find one. If I do, I'll let you know. Yeah, bring one back. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining us this week, uh, Mike. Once again, thanks as always. Um, it's it's awesome to have you, uh, Papa. Thanks for, thanks for thanks for coming on, Thank you. Luis. It's nice to see you again, man. It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Dwayne, as always, uh, awesome to have you as the other host on this podcast. Um, we're going to the convention soon, so it'll be fun to to kind of do it do it live in person. So that'll be fun. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. You can remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. Mm-hmm.